time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Father, we thank you for the privilege to be your sons and daughters. We thank you for the privilege to be warriors and soldiers. We thank you for the privilege to be your family. God, we thank you for what it means to be in Christ. And God, we have been redeemed and rescued from sin. We have been redeemed and rescued from hell. God, we have been redeemed and rescued from living for ourselves and living for the pleasures of this age. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you that every day we can wake up and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Let me fulfill what you've called me to today. That we can walk with you in relationship daily. And God, I ask, Lord, that this room would not be filled with church teenagers, but that this room would be filled with people that know and love God and literally change the planet. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us, Lord God, to, to actually do that, not just in word, but also in deed. Everybody said amen. We're on this 40-day fast, and so this 40-day fast means that we're voluntarily forgoing things that we like, things that we love, things that we enjoy, because we love Jesus more. And so we have had some of you that have voluntarily gone without iPods and music and iTunes. Some of you have, vol- because ultimately you say, I do like whoever the famous musicians are today. I like them. I really like, uh, I'm not even try, but I, I really like that, but I like Jesus more and I, and I want to see a move of God in my own life and in my city and in my generation. So I'm gonna voluntarily go without that because I want this move of God even more. Some of you are, have foregone some Facebook and some social networking and some movies and that's good. What you've said is I like those things we're not saying that those are evil things. But what you're saying is, is that those things I don't want to have on my heart as kind of like connected to my heart. I want Jesus to be the consuming fire in my heart. So I'm going to voluntarily go without those. Some of you have gone without your fast as your girlfriends and boyfriends, which is by far my favorite. Because that's just like, hey girl, I'm, 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 I'm fasting you for 40 days. Why? Because I love Jesus more. Good, so what's, what at, what, what's at the end of this 40 days? We'll see. Well, so is this kind of like a breakup? Maybe, you know. Of course, my prayer is that they just stay broken up. You know, I think teenage dating is kind of like fried snow. It's just stupid. And so uh, that's my opinion. And I've, I've only been doing this for 15 years, so not like it matters or anything. But um, don't be dumb. And so... Anyway, uh, and so we're in the middle of this fast, and so there's some of you that are, are fasting, dating, and there's all kinds of different things, and I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm excited about that. Week one, we talked about Noah. We talked about Noah staying steady for 40 days, his faith, when the rains came. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Caleb, because Caleb went into the promised land, and when the other 10 spies said, no way, no how, we can't, we can't do it, Joshua and Caleb said we can, and Caleb vocally spoke up and said, surely we can do it. We're kind of in the early days of preparing for a mission to go onto our campuses, and we're, we're, we're setting up literally prayer meetings on campuses and small groups based around meeting and reaching campuses. And it's not theoretical because realistically, when you look at young people over the last 20 years that have said, I'm going to make my campus my mission, 
There's stories all over the country of kids that have done it. There's, there's kids that have turned literally classrooms into houses of prayer. There's stories of salvation. There's stories of literally lunchrooms where people are preaching and kids are getting saved. There's story of just friendship evangelism where someone's dynamic after God and God begins to work. There's stories of kids starting campus clubs on campus and God beginning to move in those. And, and, and we're in the early days of saying, much like Joshua and Caleb went into what seemed impossible and where everybody else said, no way, no how, we're looking for some Caleb's that say it can be done. Surely we can do it. Last week we talked a little bit about David and when Goliath for 40 days stood, many, many, I mean the Philistine army in fear said, no way, we cannot go and face him. There was one young man that had spent time with God, knew who his God was, and, and when God was defied, he said, how dare you defy the armies of the living God? And the shepherd boy David went after Goliath. The giant. So we've kind of been working through some Old Testament stories and we're kind of coming to the end. And next week we're going to throw a big party and we're going to celebrate what God has done in these 40 days. And so tonight's going to be kind of the last 40 day talk. So I want to talk to you tonight about a guy, he's kind of hidden in the Bible. You got to look really closely to find him. He's kind of just barely in there. His name's Jesus. And uh, Matthew chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, if you guys could go, if you can throw it up there, Matthew chapter 3, if you can find it. We're going to start in verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. So, every time that we read the scriptures, one of the tempting things to do is just to hear the story, be familiar with the story, belittle the story because you're so familiar with it, and familiarity becomes the, 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 becomes the problem. And so I want, every time when we try to read these, try to imagine in your head, run movies in your mind, as if it's the first time you've ever seen it on the theater screen, of what's happening here. God becomes a man in Jesus. Jesus is baptized. And literally, at that moment, when it says, heaven was opened, so heaven opens up, and he saw it, meaning Jesus, Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on it. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Say by the Spirit. It's an intriguing verse. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. No duh. All right. Which is, but that's a, great, that's a great proof that he's, you know, a real man right there. Like if you fast 40 days and 40 nights, you're hungry. Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So the devil, that's the tempter, comes to him and says, if you are who you say you are, then, then do something miraculous here. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. So that's Jerusalem. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, we will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And this, it, and this I will give you, he said, 
if you will bow down and worship me. So, the devil says, if you'll worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended to him. Now, one of the things I find that's interesting about this is this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So, when you look at the life of Jesus, this is, this is the ordination moment. This is the moment where he begins. This is the starting point where he's baptized. All right? And so, for 30 years, he's walked in absolute perfection. He's without sin. He's perfect. He's holy. He's God. And when he shows up, baptized, and the first thing that he does is go toe-to-toe with the devil. I mean, like Jesus, Jesus doesn't like begin his ministry and let's go start it out with, you know, like later on he does some little miracles, you know, like when Peter, you know, Peter sometimes doesn't do things real wise and Peter pulls out a sword and cuts a guy's ear off and Jesus goes, idiot. And he picks up, remember that? He picks up, he picks up the ear and he heals it and he heals it and, you know, and he fixes it. I mean, like, it, it, it's probable that maybe Jesus could have started off small. Like, maybe let's go heal an ear. You know, let's go, let's go pick up an ear off the ground and help someone. Or even the fish and the bread thing. Like, even, even multiplying fish and bread. You know, like a huge buffet. That's awesome. But to begin everything with, I'm going to go toe-to-toe with the devil. Just from the beginning. First, I mean, here we go. Like, when we look at Adam, Adam in Genesis, Adam sinned, and we lost everything, right? I mean, the curse. And so, here, Jesus, he's perfectly righteous, and just like, he's the new Adam, and he goes, and he actually resists the devil, in the same way where Adam gave in, Jesus resists the devil, and as always, Jesus wins. And, 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 and I think about that, and some of us go, all right, cool. But there's something, there's something in my heart that when I look at Jesus actually going toe-to-toe with the devil and resisting. I mean, do this, do this, do this. No, no, no. It's so foreign to our existence, to what many, the way that many of us live. Most of us say, well, I'm only human, so I'm going to give in. And... Many times, I mean, I sit at Starbucks all the time with young people and we talk about God and often often I hear regurgitated like they've heard it from, I don't know, I don't know where they hear it, is this, well, God accepts me the way that I am. He loves me the way that I am. I'm totally human. So let's just call it and life is what it is. Instead of what Jesus did in righteousness, on, where Jesus lived perfectly, defeated sin and Satan. Jesus resisted the devil. Jesus created a way for me to live like he lived. Jesus told me that I ought to do that. I, I want to pursue that. I want the grace to do that. Jesus provides the grace and I can walk in righteousness. So I want the fight. I want the desire. I want the hunger to fight for righteousness, to resist the devil like Jesus told me to and like he demonstrated and like he personified in 1 John 2, 6. Anyone who claims to be in Christ must walk as Jesus 
did. So I want that in my life. And that's, that's the thing that needs to live in us. It's not, hey, I'm content with where I'm at. Instead, it's, hey, Jesus personified the way that I'm supposed to live. And I want to live like that. So instead of trying to throw verses around to justify where I'm at, I want to read the scriptures for what it says. And though I, may, I am weak and I will fall, fall short, my will, my desire is to walk like Jesus walked. And so when I see this casual mentality, well, you know, the devil's done this, and I tend to give in to greed, or I tend to give in to lust, or I, I'm just, I'm just, this is just the way things are. I believe, I believe you are living a false gospel. I believe that Jesus has created a way for you to love righteousness, walk in righteousness, and hate sin. Not, I'm not saying that you'll be perfect, but where you hate sin rather than tolerate it. And toleration, toleration, tolerating sin, it is the disease of this generation. So let's just ask the question. Well, okay, what did Jesus do in order to literally resist the enemy? What did he do? I mean, he goes toe-to-toe with the devil. He's baptized, and he goes toe-to-toe. What, what, what was it about Jesus? And there's so many elements. I mean, we could, we could do a 10-week series on this, but I'm going to just hit on a few ideas. Number one thing that I see is this. Jesus, for 30 years, does the same thing He does the right thing over and 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 over again. In Luke 2, 52, all right, we find, in Luke 2, we find Jesus as a 12-year-old. Any 12-year-old? Oh, no, that's that's, that's not, okay, they're over there. All right, sorry about that. The 12-year-olds are over there. Uh, And everybody said amen. All right. So, Jesus... Luke 2.52, Jesus is in the temple in Luke 2, and Jesus is with the scholars and the Bible guys in Luke 2, and he's in the temple. And then it says, as a 12-year-old, it says that, as a 12-year-old, it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. So if you want to look at the 18 years prior to ministry, if you want to look at what Jesus was doing in his teen years... We find a pretty clear example that Jesus is growing in wisdom. Meaning Jesus, Jesus is, I mean, he's actually sitting at the Bible teachers, you know, listening to them. Which I think is interesting. He's in the temple. Jesus grow, I, I, Jesus is studying the scriptures. Jesus knows the scriptures. One of the great, one of the great privileges that every single one of you have. I mean, even in, in back in their day, they had scrolls and, and you had to go to the temple and unroll it and it was hard to find. And you guys, I mean, some of you have, some of you have the Bible on your phone. Many, many of you have like three and four and five Bibles. But you want to know one of the ways for you to defeat the enemy is start becoming, doing the same things over and over and over again. Grow in wisdom. Become a man of the word. Become a woman of the Bible. Start to like it. We have a, a student in DLA, his name's CJ, and he is a leap up on so many of his peers because he spent his teenage years memorizing the scriptures. And when I go to coffee with him, he's like quoting Bible verses to me, you know, like most kids quote movie lines. And so this guy has a one-up big time. You want to you grow right now? You want to you be able to defeat the enemy? Start there. Grow in wisdom? 
Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Good luck on that. That seems to be not, nothing you can do about that. Trust me, I know. Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus grew in stature. Jesus grew in favor with God. He got to know God. He spent time with God. He knew his father. And man. So Jesus did the right thing over and over and over again. And the reason why I want to get on this, and I really want you guys to hear this, is because many of you feel lost when you turn 18. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I'm so confused. I just, I just don't know. I just don't know my calling. I don't know my gifting. I don't know. And Glenn Packiam said a great thing on Sunday that I want you to hear. He was talking about, he was talking about our temptation to be so consumed with us that we spend a lot of our time working on my purpose and my destiny and what I got to be and what I got to do and what I, you know, and, and all that because we're lacking, we're lacking the big picture focus on getting lost in the story of Jesus and what he's doing. So if you really want to find out what God wants for your life, find out what God is doing in your generation and jump in. Find out what God is doing and jump in. And so when you turn 18, if you've done this, if you've done Luke 252, where you've grown wisdom and stature and favor with God, man, and just over and over, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you choose righteousness, you study the word, you spend time with God. If you live out the vow, if you spend time with Jesus, if you fast every Tuesday with us, and you go to prayer meetings, if you literally start to get the Bible inside of you, you start to live on mission for your campus, so your goal is not to try to reach level 99 on Xbox game, bleh, but you literally live for, hey, my, I got a mission bigger than Xbox. I got a mission bigger than a cute girlfriend. I got a mission bigger than a, a boyfriend that's over 5'5". Five five. I got a vision for my life. I, I, I I want to do something, then when you turn 18 and 19, you won't be like, what's my purpose? What's my destiny? Well, what's my gifting? Well, what do my parents do? And what did my mom do? And what did my dad do? And well, I live here and, well, and I live in, and, you know, I, I could get state tuition here and this and this. this, 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 this. Instead, you'll be like, you, you'll, have, you'll be so fixed on God. You'll be like, I, I believe this is what God's doing. And this is obviously one more of my gifts line up because I've spent the last number of years praying and seeking God. And it's, I'm not saying that it's, that it's always perfect and easy, but you have way, way more opportunity. Number one is that Jesus did the right thing over and over and over again. And friends, I'm just telling you this because I'm an old man and I've seen this. There is benefit to spending your teenage years doing the right thing over and over and over and over again. This is Amy Perkins. Amy Perkins, I mean, God bless her because she got to marry into the family, but... Amy Perkins, as a, as a teenager, started to pray, lead prayer meetings on her campus at age, I mean, 1997, as a 12-year-old, she said, I'm going to do this. And the blessing on her life is far different than those that said, I'm going to party my teen years away and then, you know, see where the chips fall when I'm in college. No, it's a, Jesus walked in righteousness, walked in perfect. You want to know what Jesus did in his teenage years? This is what he did. Number two. Right before, right before he goes into defeating the devil. I mean, the devil comes at him and Jesus resists him. And then the devil flees. Right before, the spirit leads him into the wilderness. It's a very intriguing thing. Right before that, Matthew three seventeen, The father speaks 
love, affection, delight, joy over his son. So this is the second thing that I want you to get. As Jesus goes into the wilderness, he's confident. He's, it's, it's, it's real, it's fresh, how much his father loves and delights in him. And I just want you to imagine, I know that you've heard, you know, you've, I want you to imagine this real moment, historical moment, where the audible voice of heaven, I mean, God, imagine if it were to happen here. I mean, God leans over the balcony of heaven and audibly talks. I mean, this is not like Jesus is embarrassed, like, you know, mom with the video camera on the front row. Oh, come on, mom, you know, that kind of thing. This is not the obnoxious dad in the high school football stadium going, that's my boy, you know, and you're kind of embarrassed by him. No, when the God of the ages, God, talks audibly, you know how loud it has to be? God speaks audibly from heaven? I mean, how cool does Jesus feel? Sup? You know, I mean, like, you know how cool you are based on who comes to your big events, you know, who comes to your graduation, you know, who comes, you know, who comes to your football game, you know, the Lakers are feeling cool because Jack Nicholson shows up to their games, you know, or they go through and they do the celebrity cam, who comes and watches the Lakers, all right, who, this is Jack Nicholson eats your heart out. God of the ages comes to Jesus' baptism event, has a front row seat, looking down and audibly says, this is my son whom I love. This is the one that I delighted. Jesus has walked in perfection for 30 years. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is going to redeem the planet. Jesus is going to create a way for everybody in DSM living in 2010 to go into heaven. Jesus is going to create the good news, the gospel, so that that we get to take to the world. Everybody can find their purpose when they stare at Jesus. Jesus is going to return for them one day. The whole earth is going to shake. And it's, it, it, I mean, Jesus has this confidence you guys, we've got it wrong. We just picture it like it's a Bible story. But imagine what, how cool Jesus feels, how delighted Jesus feels. And it's delight. That is the emotion. That's the ethos. That's the, what's going on in the heart of God. It is not a robotic thing where it's just like, this is my son, oh my love. It's not that. It's not preordained and just got it. No, this is God. He can't help but erupt with delight for his son. It is not. Some kind of mystical movie that you've seen that sounds like you got to listen in the wind. Like, did you catch that? It was nothing like that. This was a real father who loved his son and delighted in his son. And looked at his son and erupted with affection. This is not old man in the sky like old man, man in the sea. This is not an old man looking over. Stoic, Sean Connery, uh, Sean Connery asked, this is my son in whom I love. You know, we're not talking that. We are talking about God. He looks down at his boy. <laughs> he feels... 
go Moses. Perfect righteousness. Yeah, I know, you killed the guy. No, not him. Yeah. David. See my boy? Yeah. Perfect righteousness. Yeah, that Goliath thing was good. No adultery on that cat. You know. <laughs> Elijah. Fearless. Not even scared. Look at him. I'm going to scream. Don't scream, God. I can't help it. Well, why are you going to scream? Have you seen him? That's my boy. You see, there's something in the heart of a father where when he's got a son that he really likes, he's just got to bring him on stage. He's just got to, you got to see him. You got to know I like him. You got to know I love him. You got to know he's that. And, G, and the father leans over the balcony of heaven, audibly disrupts his baptism event, records it in the gospels forever. This is my son whom I love. <laughs> I love that guy. What's up, Jesus, my boy right there? Come on, Jesus. I mean, that's what's going on in the heart. What's going on in the heart of the fathers? I really like you. I know you've got, you're going to go into 40 days. You're going to face the devil. You're going to go into three years. You're going to go through more excruciating pain than anybody ever has. But never forget this, boy. Never forget this, son. I love you. I delight in you. This is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Do you know that Jesus prays? John 17. I love John 17. If you're going to lose yourself in a chapter for a couple years, lose yourself in John 17. Buy 17 commentaries on John 17. You'll find yourself at 17, godly. John 17. Jesus prays that you and I, you and I would know that the Father loves us like he loves his son. <laughs> no, 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 don't let me be the one that's excited about that. I've been excited about that since I was 17. I, 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 I'm already excited. I don't care about me being excited. I am excited. I've been, I, I've been excited about this for a long time. I want you to understand this, that the God of the ages, the one who leans over the balcony of heaven and says this to his son, he loves you. John 15, it says that he loves you. He loves you the way that he loves his son. Man, that goes three inches into your heart. You're a transformed person. You live different. So just before Jesus goes into the wilderness to face the enemy, to face the devil, the Father declares. Then it says that he's filled with the Spirit. I mean, the dove rests on him. Just forget the dove for a minute. Somehow in our culture, the dove sounds kind of sweet. You know, like I've seen dove a part of so many like Christian bumper stickers and bookstores. And I just grown up in church, so the dove just seems cute to me. Like, so just, just, just forget the dove for a minute and imagine the Holy Spirit 
that brought down fire in Acts 2. Just imagine the Holy Spirit that down throughout the church age in the last 2,000 years has turned a band of a handful of believers into dominating the planet. Christians all over the world sharing the gospel. Just imagine. And Jesus becomes filled with the Holy Spirit. And see, the level of boldness that's needed. One, you've got to do the right thing for a long time. You've got to just, you got to keep praying. You gotta, if you'll spend time with Jesus every day, fast every week, spend time in prayer. I mean, choose righteousness, lead, 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 serve, serve, serve. If you do those things for a long time, it's just like a muscle that gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Then you get the reality of not only am I a faithful servant, but I am a delighted in son or daughter. He loves me. Throw on that and I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. Christ inside of me. God inside. Holy Spirit inside of me. That's how you end up going toe-to-toe with the devil. Some of you are content to not be totally filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you are content to have a little dab there, a little bit. Wrestle. Have some theological debates about the Holy Spirit. In John 20, Jesus resurrected, looks at his disciples, verse 21, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, 8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes on us, you know, what, you know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit turns us into witnesses. Some of you think, well, when the Holy Spirit comes on me, then I feel the tinglys and tears. Oh, I love tears. I love when God touches my heart. But do you know, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you are the witness, the demonstration of Christ on the earth. You know, it's not this building. You know, it's not, it's not CDs. It's not famous music on iTunes. It's people. You. Being completely filled with the Holy Spirit. I want all that the Holy Spirit has to offer. Makes you bold. Makes you strong. Makes you be able to go toe-to-toe with the enemy. Resist. Say no. Holy Spirit will help you pray. Romans 8, 26 says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how, what, to pray, what we ought to pray for. Jude 20, Jude is Jesus' brother. So, Jesus' little brother, Jude, says... Build yourself up in the Holy Spirit. He's only got one chapter. You know, he just had to write something just to make it. Like, I mean, you can imagine his small man complex. He's my brother. I'm just trying to make it in the Bible. But he writes one chapter. Verse 20 says, build yourself up in the Holy Spirit. Some of you are bored with Christianity because you're not going toe-to-toe. You're not in the battle. You're not in the fight. The new levels in the Holy Spirit, the new levels of understanding who you are in God, and the new levels of choosing righteousness over and over and over again, new levels will take you to new devils. There will be kickback. There will be a fight. Some of you have decided, I'm not going to go toe-to-toe with the devil. I'm going to stay right here. Go to church. Allow that I'm confused to be the reason why I don't progress forward in my life in God. 
maybe allow sin or the girlfriend, whatever's the thing. And ultimately, when it comes time to talk to, to, about Jesus, you categorize people like me as just a little weird and freaky. He's kind of nuts. So let's put them in their box. Brett Hancock, little cuckoo. Mom and dad, if you have a mom and dad that loves Jesus like that, just a little off the rocker. And you somehow figure out a way to think you, you've got it. You're cool. You understand. And when it comes to Christianity, you're a little bit bored. Now, you may never say that. You may never say, I'm bored with spending time with Jesus, or I'm bored with Wednesday nights, or I'm bored DSM, I'm bored with desperation, I'm bored with witnessing, I'm bored with the Bible, I'm bored with evangelism, I'm bored with the Holy Spirit. You might never say that. But based upon the lack of picking a fight, going toe-to-toe, of being on the offensive, it's obvious. And do you know why you're bored? It's because if you look just like the world, if you're not on the offensive, then the enemy just lets you live there and he's content. He loves where you're at. That's where the, that's where the enemy wants you. Where the enemy wants us is apathetic. Thinking we're cool. Thinking we're, you know, we got to figure it out. Any way possible to not live with great zeal for God. Because if that be so, and you're apathetic, lack passion, lack love, lack obedience. If he can get you to live apathetic, I don't care. He wins. Ultimately, when we read Jesus, when we read Revelation, when we read the Bible, we know apathetic don't live in eternity with Jesus. When we live in apathy, the devil wins. You lose. And everybody imagines this middle ground. This middle ground of I'm in church, but I'm not, I'm not passionate for God. You picture this is, this is, I'm in church, but I'm not passionate for God. This is, I'm a sinner. And this is, I'm a zealous Christian. Passionate, you know. But there's only two categories. Christian. unchristian this is made up by the devil to get you to believe in it it's nowhere in the bible it doesn't exist Jesus never gives us this option and the reason why you're bored is if you live right here This is the most boring place to be. This is, maybe I'll give a little bit of my heart to God, a little bit of my heart to the world. Ultimately, you're not going anywhere. The basic message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that he set you free from this boredom called religion. 
and he gave you an escort into the most thrilling and enjoyable life as a Christ follower. You were not made to live bored. You were made to live exhilarated. And the only thing that exhilarates is God himself. There is exhilaration for a short season in sin. But it's for a short season. Hebrews 11, it says the pleasures of this world, it's a short season. Will not last. Your highest privilege, your highest opportunity is to put all of your heart into this today. There's some of you, there's some of you that are starting to get it. There's some of you that are starting to pick this fight. But we don't want to live as DSM on the defense where we're just on the defense. Where we, we're good kids, sing good worship songs. We do some things that are good defense. We're gonna go toe to toe with the devil. He can have no power on us. And ultimately, like the one we've given our lives to, where we crush him under our feet and we say, no way, no how. And we go and we live on the offensive. When Jesus was on the earth, he was on the offensive. He redeemed humankind. And when he finished and told his disciples to go into the world, he did not say, he did not say stay here and survive until I return. He said, go into the world. That's offensive. That's on the offense. That's not on the defense. That means, if you're a football guy, that means go into the end zone. If you're a basketball guy, that means go onto the other person's goal and score. If you're a soccer guy, it means try to score. If you're a World Cup, it's hard to understand because they never score there, but it, it, go into the enemy's camp. Go into the enemy's camp and score and win. Go do something for the kingdom. Friends, your greatest privilege right now, you can live on the offensive. You can live on going in, declaring the gospel, go toe-to-toe, pick a fight with the enemy. Pick a fight. Let's stand together. We want to live in righteousness, same thing, where we, do, where we live with righteousness day in, day out. If you live that vow, that is, if you live the vow, this is, the vow is nothing in itself other than a tool, but it will help you take steps forward. Spending time with God, praying and fasting, choosing righteousness. We want to live as the beloved. This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. We want to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. If we have those things, you will possess an interior confidence to go toe-to-toe with the enemy. You will possess a confidence inside of here that won't say, my friend, I'm not talking about you getting out of lust and pornography. I'm talking about you leading 25, 30 other young men out of lust and pornography. I'm not talking about you being a man of prayer. I'm talking about you leading a prayer meeting on your campus where you win 30 of your friends to Christ this year. I'm not talking about you just marinating and making it. We want to do more than make it. Oh, I want to make it. But 
but I don't want to just make it. I don't want to, we don't want to survive high school. My hope is that some of you go to your campuses and you see, you see that on your campus, the enemy is winning in this category, this category, over this person, over that person. And you say, not on my watch. And as we conclude this 40-day fast, we want to come out of this. It says of this in Luke, when Jesus finished, in Luke 4, when Jesus finished his 40-day 40, his fast, he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. My hope is that we go to a whole nother level. And that the, the, the thing that we're asking, the thing that we're believing God for, that you guys are missionaries filled with courage that live it. I don't, I, I, listen, I, 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 honestly, just like, let's do, let's do church and have a camp and try to keep kids from, you know, doing bad things. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. If you don't play to win, you lose. Every athlete knows that. It's the same way in the kingdom. Some of you on the football field, you play to win, but in church, you play not to lose. You will. You must play to win. You must live on the offensive. Matthew 16 says that the gates of hell will not be able to keep the church out. There will be a church that lives on the offensive. Why not you? I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church that you start on your campus. When I was in high school, man, the, the, the church on my campus, that, that was my mission. This was the, 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 the rallying of the clans. This was the rallying of my friends. The church takes place on your campus, and you're the pastor, and you're the leader. Raise your hands with me. Got to pray for a church planting movement in our city pray for men and women that live on the offensive pray for the 17 year old men in this room headed into their senior year of high school pray that they wouldn't live like cowards that they would live with courage I pray that they would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit I pray that you would touch them and help them and strengthen them pray for the young women in this room May they not tolerate anything less than the fullness of what you have for them. Raise up Annas and Esthers. Raise up Deborahs that lead. Come. Holy Spirit. I pray for vision, ideas that they know did not come from any youth pastor or any book would you give them dreams and visions that come from God ideas ways to reach friends God I pray for a strategy to reach high schools in this city do it through technology do it through I, I pray that it would happen on football stadiums pray that on basketball courts it would happen in the stands 
Friday nights. God, do something in this city. God, raise up courageous lions. Let the fear, the fear go away. Let the courage rise up. We are loved. We are empowered. God, let us go toe to toe. In our generation, we want to see righteousness shine forth like the dawn. We want prayer movements on campuses. God, in our generation, in our city. Say, have your way. Have your way. Have your way, God. As Jesus finishes 40, filled with the Holy Spirit, defeating the enemy, may we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Defeat the enemy. Take the land. Jesus. Everybody said amen. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.